Hello, everyone. This is Steve Newell, and you're listening to Bible Noodler, where we take a closer look at puzzling scriptures and uh, noodle them out to see if we can figure out uh, what they mean, maybe connect them with other passages to reveal uh, deeper insights into God's heart, Jesus' heart, and uh, what's actually happening in the Bible. Today, we want to talk about animal sacrifices in the Bible, and specifically, we want to talk about the sacrifice of lambs as it all relates to Jesus' death on the cross in Easter week, Good Friday. So we're starting today in Genesis where God has placed Adam and Eve in the garden, and he's told them you can eat of any tree in the garden, but not of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, we know that Adam and Eve did eat the fruit, and God, uh, after that, confronts Adam and Eve and Satan. So the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you'll eat dust in all the days of your life. And I will put enmity or friction or um, war between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now, we know that this is the first prophecy about Jesus, that he would be born of a woman, and also that he's going to battle and defeat and defeat Satan. So God already has a plan. Adam and Eve have just sinned, and he immediately steps in with, the, this is going to be the plan, this is the way forward. So we know from the Bible that um, even before the creation of the world, God had set up a plan to uh, save us from our sin and and win us back. So that's awesome. Um, Verse 16, to the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree of of which I commanded you, you must not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. Cursed is the ground. And he says, it will produce thorns and thistles for you. So God equates the curse immediately with thorns and thistles. And uh, work is going to be so much more difficult as a consequence of sin. So You can see that the correlation here, curse equals thorns. And and that'll come up later on in the uh, the Bible uh, a number of different times. So um, we fast forward here, um, and uh, we we go fast forward. I just want to mention a couple of different places in the Old Testament where um, God says to the Israelites, listen, you know, if you don't obey, there, there's going to be a curse on your head. And these times, you're, you're going to see that he's going to use this analogy of the thorns, just like he used, uh, he correlated the curse to thorns in Genesis chapter 3. So there's a passage where he says, If you do not drive out the, the inhabitants of the land, those you allow to remain will become barbs in your eyes and thorns in your sides. They will give you trouble in the land where you live. 
there's another passage where he's talking about uh, not marrying people from uh, outside of Israel. And, you know, what, what are the, going to be the consequences if you do? You're going to get cursed. He says, instead, they will become snares and traps for you, whips on your backs and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land, which the Lord God has given you. Just a couple examples of that. And um, I want to read this other passage, too, because it kind of speaks to our psychology or our our. Uh, how we handle our sin and then our curse and our punishment, our, the consequences of our sin. A lot of times we we sin and difficult things happen in our lives and we end up blaming God. There's a passage in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 21 and 22. He says, distressed and hungry, they'll roam through the land. When they're famished, they will become enraged and looking upward will we'll curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. So when we sin and we suffer the curse of sin, a lot of times we turn around and we curse God as though he were responsible for punishing us without merit. So it's it's a common thing. We do it today, obviously. So it's, it's kind of a vicious circle that we can't get out of. We sin. We suffer consequences. If we don't re- respond righteously, um, we end up blaming God, and truly God's the only one that can get us out of the situation. So that's that's not helpful. So how does how's God going to help us get out of this? Well, He's got a lot of teaching to do. He's got to teach us about His holiness. He's got to teach us about what sin is and what it isn't. He's got to teach us about how to be forgiven. He's got to teach us about what our relationship, our our true relationship should be with him, our relationship of respect and awe and love and devotion and um, and commitment and um, uh, and and trying to glorify him. And so we're a long ways away from that. Let's put it that way. So he builds this sacrificial system with uh, priesthood and with sacrifices and holy days and festivals and whatnot. And it's it's all put together with the understanding that these are going to be used as tools to kind of take the Jews from where they are with a completely rudimentary understanding about who God is. Because all they know about gods is the other gods. The other gods are crazy. The other gods are asking them to sacrifice their own children and all this. And God's like, Okay, you know, they say their name is God. I say my my name is God. We're completely different. Let's start from scratch. So priesthood, sacrifices, so on and so forth. So um, let's talk about um, let's talk about these sacrifices. Uh, There's basically three kinds of sacrifices. There's sin and guilt sacrifices. Obviously, when when we have a violation. There's consecration consecration sacrifices where you're basically expressing your devotion to God. And there's communion or fellowship offerings. And uh, they're more like Thanksgiving offerings. You know, I had a child and I want to just say thank you or somebody got healthy. I want to say thank you. I had a great harvest. I want to say an extra thank you, um, whatever that is. So three kinds, sin and guilt, consecration and um, fellowship offerings. 
So let's, when we look at lamb, the, the uh, sacrifices where lambs were killed uh, for the sacrifice, let's look at a couple of them. Uh, the number one, the obvious one, the first one was the Passover lamb. That's to commemorate God rescuing Jews from Egypt. And um, I mean, I guess I would classify that as a um, fellowship offering saying, hey, thank you for, for doing that. Now, the second one is the morning and evening sacrifices of lambs. Every single day in the morning at 9 a.m., at the evening at 3 p.m., and these would be considered a consecration sacrifice. Basically, hey, God, every single morning, first thing we do, we offer a lamb to recommit ourselves to you. We do it at the end of the day as well. Every single day, day in and out, uh, these two lambs are sacrificed, 9 a.m., 3 p.m. Um, the third <clears throat> is, uh, is a sin offering. <clears throat> now, again, this is sacrificed when you've sinned and need to be forgiven. The ritual for the sacrifice goes something like this. You bring a young female lamb to the priest. You say that you're there at the altar. You put the lamb on the altar. Now you press your hands firmly on the lamb's head. And you symbolically transfer the sin that's on your head onto the lamb. And because um, remember, the, the consequence of sin is death. So instead of you dying, you're offering this lamb um, to take the place of your death. Then the priest puts his hands on the lamb and he kind of accepts the sacrifice and uh, validates it. And then he slices the throat of the lamb. And the lamb bleeds out. And as you see this lamb struggle and die, the, the thought that, that goes through your head is, that should be me. I should be on the, the one on the altar. I should be the one dying. This innocent animal is dying for my sin. So there's two things to recognize here. And neither of them are good. One, you've sacrificed this lamb for, you know, as a sin offering, but your sin is not actually forgiven. Actually, what's happened is the punishment for your sin is delayed. All, of you, all you've done here is bought yourself some time. There's still going to be a reckoning for your sin. You know, Jesus says, or God says, you know, if you sin, you die. So there's going to be a reckoning. You're just pushing that off a little ways down the road. Um, the second thing to remember is that once you walk out of there, you're likely going to sin again. So do you have to bring a sacrifice every time you sin? Um, this, you know, doing this sacrifice, I mean, maybe it sobered you. Maybe you straighten up a little bit. Uh, maybe you're a little bit more conscious of being righteous. But as far as taking away your sin, no. And as far as giving you the power to overcome sin in the future, no. So, again, this is the sacrificial system is not meant to be the cure-all. It's meant to be a teaching aid to get us to the point where we can actually get our sins forgiven and we can actually be empowered to battle sin a whole lot stronger. So 
Um, so now we fast forward 100 or 1,500 years, and Jesus has just begun his ministry. John the Baptist sees him, and he immediately exclaims, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I, I can't imagine being Jesus and hearing uh, that kind of uh, exclamation uh, from a holy man. Hey, guys, this is the Lamb of God. He's going to take away the sin of the world, which means he's going to die. So I, who knows what the emotions were when Jesus heard that. But um, nevertheless, he says that, and we get a clue from that. We, we now understand that when Jesus dies on the cross, it's not going to be a Passover lamb as a Passover lamb. It's not going to be as a lamb that sacrificed for uh, devotion or uh, commitment. Uh, it's going to be a sacrifice for sin, for guilt. We know that. Um, so fast forward to Jesus, uh, three years forward to Jesus being at the last Passover and that terrible week, it's going south really fast. And uh, he's arrested, he's beaten, he's put before the courts and so on and so forth. And at 9 a.m. the next morning, Friday morning, two things happen. At 9 a.m., the daily lamb is sacrificed as it's sacrificed every single day at 9 a.m. Second thing that happens is Jesus, the lamb of God, is nailed to the cross. At 3 p.m., two more things happen. The second consecration lamb is sacrificed, as is sacrificed every single day at the same time, 3 p.m. The other thing that happens is the lamb of God, Jesus, dies on the cross. So Jesus is the last lamb because Jesus is an actual sacrifice. Jesus did not have any sin, but sin was put on his head and he died. So the one who sins is the one who will die. All the sin being put on Jesus' head and then him being sacrificed, that stopped it. There's no more reason for sacrifices after, after this last lamb has died. Um, but, you know, the thing that we talked about before is, is that we as the sinner come, we put our, our hands on the lamb and transfer our sin. And uh, the priest, who's God in this scenario, uh, puts his hand on uh, the lamb, which is Jesus in this story, and, um, and, you know, kind of accepts this transfer of sin. And, and then the sacrifice happens, and that, that kind of completes the sacrifice. But I didn't see either of them happening. Well, in Isaiah uh, 52, if you go to verse 4, um, this is this, the place where we can – there are many different places, but this is the most obvious one, where it talks about how God has put um, the, the sin of the world on Jesus' head. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, 
and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, and each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Okay, so clearly uh, God is validating that there's sin on, on Jesus' head, but how did it get there? How did we transfer? How do we put our hands on the Lamb of God and transfer this sin to him? Well, if we back up a couple of hours and go to Matthew 27, verse 27, I believe this is where it could have happened. I don't know for a fact. I'm just noodling here. But it seems too obvious to be a coincidence. This is what happens. Verse 27. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and then they twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. And there it is. The thorns that personify the curse on Adam's head from his sin and personify the curse of sin in general, we literally created a crown of thorns and placed it on Jesus' head. We, we placed it firmly on his head, even to the point of us taking out sticks and beating it into his head. We literally transferred that curse onto Jesus' head. Now, I've never read this in a book. I've never, nobody's ever told me this. I've, I've never seen a movie with this in there, making this connection between the, the, the thorns and the curse. I don't know. It's just so, it's so random that you would have a crown of thorns added to this story. I mean, you never hear, I don't know if you've ever heard of a, of a Roman um, crucifixion where they did that. I mean, as far as I know, this is the only one. Now, I mean, I don't know. Are there records of it? I, I don't know. But it seems too big of a coincidence to me that God, with his infinite knowledge and just just the way he thinks. I mean, he sets so many things up. I mean, for, for, for goodness sakes, he's got the sacrifices at 9 in the morning and 3 p.m., and he has Jesus on the cross at 9, and he has him die at 3. I mean, I guess that's a coincidence too, right? I, I just don't believe that. Anyway, I think that's when we transferred our sin to Jesus' head. Um, let's finish the story in Hebrews uh, chapter 10, verse 1 through 7. Now, remember, way back when we started talking about sacrifices, we said, okay, there's God created this, this uh, system of sacrifice, but there's really two big holes, two serious holes in, in the sacrificial system here. One is it doesn't actually forgive sins. And number two, we're going to go ahead and, and keep sinning anyway. So, you know, geez, it's, it's Groundhog Day over and over. But I think there's a way out here. In, in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 10, and I really, really hope that you will read through this passage, Hebrews chapter 10. Actually, the whole book of, of Hebrews is, it's a little, uh, it's a little complex, but it's so, so deep. Such a great, even if you don't completely understand it, I, I would 
I would definitely recommend reading it. It's a such a faith-building, inspirational um, book. But uh, chapter 10, verse 1, it says, The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it could never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, would they have not stopped being offered? For if the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty, uh, they would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So there it is. I mean, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It's just a symbol. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not, you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you are not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scrolls. I have come to do your will, O God. In other words, he's saying, God, I was up in heaven. I didn't have a body. I was spiritual. You gave me a body and put me on earth. Hey, what am I going to do with this body? I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to let you use it to do this sacrifice and uh, get rid of this sin once and for all. So verse 8, first he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, although the law required them to be made. Then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, you, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Now listen to this. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of, the, of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool, because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I'll put my laws in their hearts. I'll write them in their minds. Then he adds, their sin and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where they have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. So Jesus truly is the last lamb. So the sacrificial system basically stops right now. Now, the Jews keep doing it for a while until the temple is destroyed. And God's like, look, I'm destroying the temple. The only place in the entire world you can you can do sacrifice to me. And uh, I'm going to destroy it because it's not needed. Um, but I want to uh, uh, reiterate this line, verse 14. He says, because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect or complete forever those who are being made holy. And it sounds like a contradiction because basically he's saying, I've forgiven your sins perfectly. You're perfectly without sin. 
and yet you're still continuing to be made holy. In other words, you're you're not quite holy. You're still sinning, but you are um, moving closer and closer and closer to holiness by becoming more and more and more righteous and pleasing to God uh, with with what you're doing. So what he's saying here, and this is a whole nother podcast that we got to tackle this. But what he's saying is is once you are you go through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus with Jesus and, and get in touch with his blood that saves us. Once you do that, once you're baptized and your sins are forgiven, they're forgiven once and for all. And even if you sin, and we will sin after we get baptized, those sins are not counted against us. They're, they're just, I guess they're kind of logged into the same uh, long line of sins that were on Jesus' head when he died. That 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 account, it's almost like you open up an account, and even the sins I do in the future after I get baptized are put into that account, but they're not in my account. When God looks at me, he sees me as pure and holy and righteous and clean and sin-free, even though I know that I have a long way to go. And I I'm trying to continue to grow and to um, become more mature. So that whole problem with the with the sacrificial system, where a sin or sacrifice doesn't really forgive sin, well, Jesus' sacrifice really does forgive sin. And oh, by the way, once you leave, you're going to sin again. Well, that's dealt with also under. Jesus' plan, this new covenant that, that's referenced here, this covenant that I will make with them in verse uh, 16, that's covered also because we're given the Holy Spirit in baptism so that we get extra power um, to enable us to be more and more and more successful in fighting sin. So um, the sacrificial sin has, uh, sacrificial practice has been displaced after Jesus dies on the cross and resurrects. And um, the last lamb that ever had to be sacrificed was sacrificed on the cross in the the person and the God of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening today. And I appreciate your patience. Thanks for joining. And um, please, if you would, uh, read uh, Isaiah 49 and also Hebrews 10. They're very, very great passages and uh, very deep, very, will give you a lot of understanding about the, the Passion Week. And um, if you uh, have any comments or questions or additional thoughts, please email me at steve at biblenoodler.com. And um, just remember what the, uh, what, um, Proverbs 25, 25 says, it says, let get to it here. Proverbs 25, 25. He says, it is to the glory of God to conceal a matter, to uncover a matter. It is the glory of Kings. So keep noodling.